0: So John chapter 1 verse 14, here's what John announces and if you've been around Hill City, you've heard this verse several times because it just has all kinds of implications to why we do what we do. John chapter 1 verse 14, the word became flesh. That word is Jesus. So Jesus the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory as the only son of God from the father, full of grace And truth. And we talked about this last week that as we've been going through Philippians, and we're taking a break from Philippians today, but we talked about how Jesus came and he took on flesh. And this is God taking on flesh and he humbles himself and he takes on the form of a servant and he came and he dwelt among people. Jesus came and was the most fully human man to walk the planet. He was fully God and fully man. And it says, he came, this God came, he took on flesh, dwelt among us. And the manner in which he dwelt among us, John would describe as full of grace and truth. So Jesus perfectly embodies both grace and truth. He was grace and truth. He took on flesh, dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. He perfectly showed us what God is like. If you want to know who God is... Look at Jesus, full of grace and truth. And Jesus comes on the scene and he perfectly loves people. He perfectly demonstrates grace to people that were outcast. At the same time, he perfectly brings truth to those same people. Grace and truth. The reality of us as broken people and believers who who have said I'm following Christ and He now lives in me and in me and I'm I want to model my life after Him now for us we have this this charge to be in the world full of grace and truth but if you're like me sometimes those lines are a little blurry anyone feel that like I want to I want to have a posture and an attitude of grace. And love and mercy and acceptance, no matter where anyone will is, I want to show grace and love, but at the same time i 'm called to proclaim truth, to preach truth and 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 Christians oftentimes we 're guilty of choosing one or the other, so we go all the way to grace, and we say, "Well, everything, do whatever you want. you know God loves you, however you are, just do your thing." Everything's acceptable because we just, want to, we just want to be about love. I just like to be positive. Or we go all the way to truth and we become cold and judgmental and hard and we hold signs on the corner of streets downtown Springfield. And so as believers trying to walk among, in the world... Not of the world, but in the world, we have this tension of grace and truth. Here's what I'm going to argue today: that tension. That I hope you feel. I hope if you don't feel the tension between those two, you're probably way off on one side or the other. If you don't feel the tension, but that tension between grace and truth, grace, grace and truth has another name, and that is love. Love is the tension between grace and truth. Because if I go all the way to grace, ultimately I'm not loving. Because grace without truth is damning. If I go all the way to truth without grace, I'm not loving because my message will never be heard. Love is the tension between grace and truth. If If there's any Area that we as Christians must find that balance and must humbly seek to find that balance and repent when we're off balance is in the area of the LGBT community, the homosexual community, and how do we love them as believers. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If there's an issue where we must be full of grace and truth, where we must be about love and that perfect balance of grace and truth, it is this issue. Now hear me, to enter the dialogue on the issues concerning the LGBT community is to step into the tension. To step into the fray, the, a, a minefield. Like there's a minefield all over the place this morning. And I'm going to ask for grace as I speak. Wherever you fall, take the message, the whole message in context. Don't pull out one sentence and quote me and say, yeah, he's off his rocker. But if there's an area that we must embody, grace and truth, it is in this. And if we step into it, hear me, we will make some mistakes. We are flawed people trying to live out God's perfect grace in a flawed world. And we're going to make some mistakes. However, we as a church would rather step into this tension and make some mistakes than hide ourselves from it and avoid it. If there's an issue that the church must step in, full of grace and truth, it is this issue, issue. And hear me, there will times we will be wrong. Look at our history of the church, not necessarily this the big church. We've been wrong on some issues. There are some times we will be wrong. There are some times we're going to need to repent. There's times that we're going we're to respond too much in grace. There's times we're going to respond too much in truth. But hear me, we must step in. Holiness is not the absence of doing bad things. Holiness is the pursuit of doing good things. So we can hide ourselves from the world and hide ourselves from anything that, that may be controversial, may be tough, and say, well, I just want to live a holy life and hide. That's not holiness. Holiness is stepping in. Ephesians 2.10, God says, I have good works for you to do, not good hiding for you to do. And some of us this morning, even this topic is going to come with some uncomfortableness. I'm going to ask you to step in, to lean in, and to pursue holiness, to pursue the good things which God has called us to do. We can't be so concerned with holiness that we stay away from people who, in our opinion, don't measure up to our standard of holiness. So let's look at this idea of grace and truth this morning we're going to do it in reverse or we're going to start with truth. As we think about truth, and, and remember to, today, particularly in the area of homosexuality, as we think about truth, we make a big mistake with truth. And here's the mistake we make. Is we oftentimes, and I say we as, as Christians in the whole, the truth that we start with is an attack against a sin. That's the wrong truth to start with. Here's the truth that we start with. The gospel. See, if we're going to engage a gay friend, someone at work who's a homosexual, the worst thing we can do is start with, hey, do you know that homosexuality is a sin? And here's boom, boom, boom. Romans says this, and it's an abomination. The truth we start with is the gospel. That God loves people. God loves sinners. And and. And we're going to find like I'm the worst of them. We start with the gospel. Like, here's the reality. I don't know why it's this issue that we always want to go to truth about an issue. But if you have a coworker that is a non believer and you want to engage them and, and talk to them about your faith, let's say that coworker gets angry in their office keyboard and throws their staple across the wall. And sometimes you're ducking because it's coming your way, right? You're not going to walk up to that coworker who needs Jesus and say, hey, um, Let's talk about your anger. The Bible actually has some things to say about anger. It says that anger is an abomination. No. Because anger is not his issue. Issue is it doesn't know Christ. You know, Jesus said, be angry, but don't sin. And when you throw that stapler, actually, that is a sin because you're acting on that anger. We don't do that. To your neighbor that Is a very, very proud, kind of arrogant person. You don't walk up and say, Hey, um, I want to talk to you about faith. Actually, do you know the Bible says that pride, that God hates pride? And since you're proud, really, God hates you. Anyone have that conversation this week? No, right? Here's what we say Hey, come, I want to invite you into this. This faith that I'm living, I want you to show you who Jesus is and show you what that might mean for your life. I want to share with you the gospel. Hear me. Truth starts with the gospel, period. Jesus came to save sinners that none of us, you or I, need, none of us can get to God on our own. If we are left to our religious performance to get to God, we are all doomed. But that God took on flesh, came to us, lived a perfect life, died, took our place on the cross, and now we find, find our identity in him Period. The gospel truth. It starts there. It must start there. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And if you're here today and maybe you came and you're broken and, this is, and you're looking for something, the lie is that you must clean yourself up to get to God. If I just stop doing this and this and this and then God will love me. Wrong. God loved you while you were at your worst. And he says believe While you're at your worst. And then while you're at your worst, I will save you. I will make you new. I will wash you clean. And we'll start this journey there. But it starts with the gospel. Hear me, Hill City. Never do we pick out a sin and engage someone on that sin before we talk about the gospel. It's reverse order. But as we talk about truth, the Bible is very clear about homosexuality, and we live in a day where there's all kinds of people that want to. Well, actually, it says this, and you could take, and they want to do all kinds of tricks with with the Bible. But here's here's what we know: um, homosexuality is a sin. Matter of fact, sexual relations outside of marriage, the Bible calls sin. Here's what Genesis two twenty four says: Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. God's design for sexual intimacy is one man and one woman in a committed marriage relationship. To have sexual intimacy outside of that protection is to rebel against God, but hear me, also to open yourself up for harm. And I could bring a hundred stories up on this stage and let someone share where stepping out of that secure relationship that God has given and how that has harm them and some of them very very deeply God doesn't say hey just don't have sex because he wants to see young people suffer God says no I want you to have really good sex but I want you to have it in the context of a protective relationship that I've created and he's going to say wait and trust me that this is best the design of God for human sexuality which he wants to flourish is one man one woman in a covenant marriage relationship, first Corinthians will go on it'll, it'll talk about this chapter six, verse nine. Paul writes, "Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral nor idolaters, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivalers nor swindlers will inherit." The kingdom of God. So Paul is describing a bunch of a bunch of activities, a bunch of, of of things that would that would people get lost in sin about. He's describing a bunch of them as things that separate us from God. That unless we repent, that we will be excluded from the kingdom of God. So we list off a bunch of those things. Now let's not. And, and again, good good Midwest Christians, we want to go right to the homosexuality thing. Uh, do you see what else is in there? Greedy. I'll just camp out there for a second. Greedy. Yeah, but homosexuality. So what? Greedy. Idolatry. Now you're like, oh, phew, man, I don't have any like idols in my car. Uh, yeah, but the problem is idolatry is not around a statue. It's around a heart thing. So whenever I look to approval of others as something to give me my identity, that's actually idolatry. All of us are guilty adulterers oh phew. man i've never i've never had an affair college man i'm not even married yet yeah well here's the problem jesus changed the rules on you because jesus says actually if you look at a woman with lust you've committed adultery see jesus takes an external sin and he makes it about the heart again guilty he lists sexual immorality. If, if you're taking notes, the Greek word there is pornea. It's where we get our, our, our root word of pornography. Uh, pornea is an umbrella term for sex outside of, of God-intended purpose. So one man, one woman in a relationship. That's pornea. So very simply, pornea is a bend in God's design. And he's going to list adultery, sexual immorality, homosexuality, all that is this idea of sexual morality. It's this umbrella umbrella term for pornea, which is a bend. So according to the Bible, here's the reality. None of us are straight. All of us have a bend. And that bend is towards sin. So pornea would include lust. It would include homosexuality. It would include pornography. It would include habitual masturbation. It would include Marriage of the same sex. It would include anything outside of God's intended purpose, his design. One man, one woman is that umbrella term of pornea. Now, here's the argument. And I want to make sure you hear me very clearly on this one. The argument is that we hear from from, um, the homosexual community, and especially those that are trying to take the Bible and, and make it fit, is... I was born that way. I was born this way. Now, hear me out on this before. For many of them, I would agree. But there's a difference in how I would communicate that. What they would say is, I am born this way, therefore, this is how God wants me to live. This is how God's designed me. I was born this way. He's created me like this. Therefore, to do anything else would would be not true to who I am and who God created me to be. The problem with that is Genesis and that God created then man and woman and the design for them to come together. Now, I would say many of, many of the homosexual community are born with an attraction to the same sex. And they're born that way because of sin, of, this, of Adam's sin. So Adam's sin comes on the world and it goes epidemic and affects all of us. And every single one of us, the Bible would teach, is born into sin. We're prone to sin. Like, if you don't believe me, walk down to the children's area, go to the two-year-old classroom. We don't have to teach them how to be selfish. Mine. Go take something out of a two-year-old's hand. Watch out. Right? We are born with the nature to sin. Now, here's the reality. Many of us are born with heterosexual tendencies and are the flaw in us if we take that and we go to lust. There's the bend. I would argue that many homosexuals are born with that desire of same-sex attraction because of the bend, the effects of sin. But to say that's how I was born, so therefore that's how God wants me to live, the problem is the Bible. And the overall teaching of Scripture is God has a design for marriage, he has a design for sexual sexuality, and homosexuality is not in that design. So let's not get into argument of I'm born this way. And go into science. Let's say, okay, you may, you may have some desires. You may have been born with some desires, but let's talk about what's it look like to live the way God's intended you to live, the way God's intended you to flourish. So Paul in 1 Corinthians verse 9-10, and 10, he'll list all those actions, and he'll include... Homosexuality or sexual immorality in that, which remembers that big umbrella term. And then look at verse 11. He says this, he's writing to believers, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. So Paul's message to them is many of you were saved out of all those things. And if I would ask for a show of hands, many of us were saved out of those things. But God, when he saved us, he justified us, declared us righteous, he washes us, and then he calls us to pursue him in this lifelong process of sanctification. So I may have been born with a tendency to lust, but God's design for me is to delight in my wife and her alone. Such were some of you. So due to Adam's sin, the flaw of man is that we take food, which is a great gift of God, and because of our bend, we take it to the extreme and we use it to numb, and we overeat. That we take wine, which was a gift of God, it says to make the man, hearts, man, mar- the, the heart of man merry, and we take it to the extreme, to drunkenness, and we use it to numb pain. And we take sexual pleasure that God has designed for us to flourish in in a covenant relationship and we use that in a selfish way. That is the bend. So we're all born, the Bible teaches, with this bend towards idolatry. Idolatry is simply this, my way over God's way. Whatever I want to put up and say, no, I will do it my way. I don't care what the Bible says, that's idolatry. We've now taken that and said, I will worship that. That will make me more complete, more fulfilled than what Christ will. Now, same-sex attraction is not a sin. Just like if I see a beautiful woman walk in front of me to acknowledge that she's a beautiful woman, it's not a sin. But the question is, what do I do with that in my heart, and how do I act on that? That leads me but I want to distinguish same-sex attraction versus acting and and, take, and embracing a lifestyle same-sex attraction is not a sin it has to be fought and repented of and the grace of God poured over but having that attraction is not a sin it doesn't disqualify you if, you, if you're here and you have same-sex attraction please don't hide please't Share that, open them up about that, talk about that. Like, you can have any position in our church and have same-sex attraction. Because every single one of us are attracted to something that doesn't give us Jesus, every single one of us. Yours just may be different. So same-sex attraction is not a sin, and too many of our, our, our people in our churches are hiding in shame just because of that attraction. Now the gospel will call call us to repentance. So we must hold to truth. We don't have the right to change truth to make it more palatable. The reality of the gospel is Jesus came to save sinners but he calls those sinners to repent and follow him for their joy. And we must hold on to that. Here's the last argument in the truth one that I'll get to that we hear. Well, Jesus never said anything about it. If, it would have, if homosexuality would have been that important, Jesus would have said something about homosexuality. Here's the problem. Jesus did talk about it. We see in Matthew 19 that, and it's up on the screen, I won't read the whole, the whole, the whole passage, but the Pharisees come up to ask him a question about marriage, and here's what Jesus does. He quotes the Genesis passage I just looked at. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. Jesus had the chance to redefine the understanding of the commands of the Old Testament around homosexuality, and he did not. He upheld God's design of one man and one woman in a covenant relationship. And and it's a flawed argument to say just because Jesus did not list that sin means that the rest of the Bible is, you know, we can just throw it out because Jesus didn't talk about it. It's a flawed argument. Here's, Here's what Jesus says, that he came to fulfill the law. Not get rid of it. And Jesus did change some things. He allowed Jews to eat bacon. Christians, are you happy that Jesus changed that? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, yesterday morning, some thick stuff, man. I'm like, Jesus, thanks for changing that. Uh, Jesus had the chance to change some things. He did. Jesus upheld God's design, design of marriage. So truth. As a Hill City Church, here's what you must know. We believe, in the Bible, we believe the Bible's true, it's complete. We believe that homosexuality is a sin because that's what Jesus taught, or that's what the the Bible teaches all the way around. We believe that sexual immorality is a sin, any sexual relations outside of God's covenant. We believe that God has better for us. And not in the sin as a fact of like, just don't do that. No, let's walk into what God has that's better you and that's what we're looking at with Philippians this book about joy so if we talk about this tension of grace and truth we must speak the truth in grace but hear me Hill City we must speak the truth and I want to challenge on this we talked about this we had a little elder retreat this weekend one of my great burdens for our church is that we can very quickly become active in doing a lot of things a lot of things, and we can say, "Yeah, we're we're living missionally. We're out on mission. We're on mission. We're doing this. We're going to go to rock and We're going to do all that." Here's the reality, though: if we do not speak truth, meaning the gospel, then we are no different than a social justice organization. We must speak the truth. Many of you have been building relationships with someone for six years, and you've never spoke the truth. That ain't love. It's not love. So we must speak the truth in love, but we must speak the truth, and that truth starts with the gospel. Now, as we talk about grace, we can be right in our beliefs, but wrong in our communication of those beliefs. It's not just a matter of knowing what the Bible says about homosexuality. It's saying, how do I take that knowledge and engage a broken and lost community full of grace and truth. Jesus was perfectly able to hold those two together. We're flawed. We'll make some mistakes. But love is that tension of grace and truth. As we move to the grace side this morning, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite a special guest up with us this morning. And my goal in having him up here, we're going to do an extended interview with him. My goal for Christians is that we would listen and we would grow in our grace and our love for the LGBT community. That's my goal. Because we must grow in grace and love towards him. We must. Samson Latcheson is associate director of the Potter's House. He's been there for 16 years. He's chaplain of Lakeland Behavioral Health here in Springfield. He's a born-again believer who experiences same-sex attraction but is living a life of gospel-centered celibacy. Um, How many, and probably a lot of them right here, how many of you have been in some way impacted by the ministry of Samson? Raise your hand. Yeah, I figured. Hill City, would you invite Samson up with me? Come on, Samson, let's go. All right, Samson, thank you so much. So much for coming today. You have no idea. We were supposed to do this back in December with our Advent series, and it snowed that day, and we had to cancel. And if it's not uh, three times a week that I get asked, hey, when's Samson coming? When's Samson So thank you for being here, so they'll shut up and quit asking me that. (laughs) I appreciate it. Um, So it's so great to have you here. We're humbled that you would come, and I like your haircut, man. Great haircut. (laughs) So, again, the goal of this interview is that you and I, as believers, would grow in grace and love towards the homosexual community. So Samson, Samson, let's start there. We're going to have a conversation up here. Um, well, I hear your story. And by the way, there's a YouTube video where he preached a sermon where he tells his whole story, about 45 minutes. I encourage you to search for that. Samson Latcheson is his name. You can find it. Um, he has an amazing story. We're going to get like a two-minute, three-minute quick snapshot of it. But give, paint us a picture of, of your story that kind of took you to our converse, where we are in our, today in our conversation.
1: All right, first of all, Daniel, you didn't ask for this, but I just want to thank God for this man giving the most comprehensive message I've ever heard on homosexuality. Um, I was born 1963, which means I'm ancient. Um, my mom and my dad were, were Christians. Uh, they were believers. Uh, And uh, one of my first memories is of being baptized. I was probably about four years old. Uh, The night I was baptized, I was also molested by the deacon who was dressing me to be baptized. Uh, For as long as I can remember, I've struggled with same-sex attraction. My mother could foresee that in me, and uh, her words to me were, it was the unforgivable sin. And if she ever found out I was, and I'll use her words, a fag, she would deny she ever knew me. That same mom also was a woman of faith and a woman who, who taught me the gospel truth. Um, my father was a minister, itinerant preacher, uh, who sexually molested me from the time I was 10 till I was 12. Uh, growing up in St. Louis, being the kid that I am, um, the kid that I was, uh, I've always talked the way I do. I'm not using slang Slightly articulate, kind of with a St. Louis slur, but, but anyway, um, carried around a, a yellow submarine lunchbox. And so for abundance of reasons, I was a kid that was bullied, uh, had effeminate qualities uh, about the way I interacted. And uh, so life as a child was hell, uh, to be very honest with you. Struggled with insomnia because I believed if I died, and, uh, if I slept, I would die in my sleep and wake up in hell. So I developed insomnia at a very early age. Uh, At the same time, I spent my young life really trying to get God to like me. So I prayed at what I deemed as holy hours, because I saw these numbers in the Bible a lot, 3, 7, and 12. And my number one prayer request was always that God would save me. Um, At 14, uh, thank God for Billy Graham, because uh, just hearing him talk about relationship with God gave me the possibility of the fact that there was a way that I could have somehow a friendship with God. And so I began working toward that friendship with God. During that time, God was gracious enough to me to give to me the idea of going to Southwest Baptist University. Uh, I went to Southwest Baptist. Being there at that university was one of the first times I met men with integrity. And, uh, and the gospel that they preached was something that was meaningful to me. But still, I did not come forward with same sex attraction as brother Daniel just got through talking about. And so after college, I plunged into the lifestyle. Uh, depression was such a huge part of that, that I began uh, trying to kill myself by having sex with people with full blown AIDS or who were HIV positive. I'm sitting here because of the grace of God. I've never been HIV positive. Um, after a time of dealing in that lifestyle, had a crisis of belief where I begin to say that I was delivered even though I still dealt with same-sex attraction. I have always been in ministry doing what I'm doing right now Uh, but still that thought that I was going to be in hell forever remained. Um, Because of that I developed some psychological problems, was diagnosed bipolar 2 with psychotic features uh, after I came under accountability of a church uh, went to a Christian psychologist who prescribed to me seven to nine psychotropic meds I ended up in Cox North Psychiatric Facility after mental breakdown on a Sunday morning just like today um, we were sitting around the table and one of the patients escalated and, and said where's your pastor where's your pastor where are your Christian friends where are your Christian friends and to be honest with you no that my pastor at that time did not come to see me nor did most of my friends that I did call Did not come. Uh, And uh, he said, see, there's no God. And the lady sitting right next to me said, I want to believe in the Sunday school Jesus. I want to believe in the Jesus that sat the kids in his lap. I want to be one of those kids. And I'd always heard all my life about presence of God. I'd never felt it. That day I felt the presence of God. And we around a table just begin to sing, Jesus loves me. Um. At that time, I was two hundred and seventy pounds. Um, after I was discharged from that hospital, met Stephen Burner Prophet, and they had met me twelve years prior, and they talked to me about helping them start Potter's House. Steve Prophet had no idea what I just told you, and I disclosed to him what I just told you, and he said, "I didn't know that, but I still want you to help me start this ministry." Within a year, I'd lost one hundred and ten pounds. Um, I was able to stop taking all of those psychotropic meds, cold turkey. I don't suggest that, by the way. That was a God thing. Okay. Don't want to be liable. But anyway, um, within a few years after that, uh, a pastor uh, named Jordan Hansen showed up to Potter's house, and he said, I want to get to know you. I've heard about you, and I just want to get to know you. And so I did what I could to uh, try to run him away. I couldn't run him away he invested in my life even further and uh, we became really good friends. One night after leaving Potter's House, I had a crisis of belief thinking about Stephen Burnet, Prophet, uh, Jordan Hanson, uh, several people in my life that had shown me unconditional love. And I said to God, God, what do you say of me? And I'm not much for epiphanies, but one word, One word was the answer for 52 years of hell at that time. And it was a word forgiven. So I was baptized. And uh, the funny thing is, I became sure of my salvation three years ago. Three years ago. But thank God for grace. And thank God for people of Grace.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Great story. Again, listen, to, it's on YouTube, a longer story. Maybe, maybe sometime we'll get you back and you can tell it to us in length and, and preach. But, um, and so, so God delivered you, but, but you'll save him to this day, like same sex attraction that has not been taken away yet. No. Right. That's still every day. It's a, it's a battle in the mind. And how do Christians, how do we need to grow in our empathy for someone who identifies in the LGBT community?
1: How can, how can we grow? First of all, you got to know, you don't wake up one morning and go, ooh, I just wanna be hated and ostracized and deal with depression and deal with people looking at me as if I'm less than a person. I'd love that idea. I think I'll be gay today. Uh, that, that's just not what you do. Uh, and so you need to know, first of all, that anyone who labels himself that way Uh, has usually lived a life of hell. Um, And empathizing with someone is, is what God commands all of us to do. In fact, that's what Jesus did. He became us. You know, I love the fact that Jesus went forward to an invitation. Did you know that? I mean, John the Baptist was calling for sinners. Jesus didn't hold up a disclaimer sign and say, not me. I'm just doing this for these guys. He went forward and he was baptized. And so to empathize with someone, you've got to put on their skin. You've got to get to know them. You've got to ask them the hard questions. You've got to be willing to understand them right where they are, just the way Jesus did in so many situations. Jesus called Matthew while he was in the act of extortion. The woman caught in the act of adultery, crazy story. He's playing in the sand because, yeah, you're not caught in the act of adultery with many or any clothes on. But he refused to look at her shame. And so in every way, Jesus embodied empathy and he understood people right where they were. And so it's a wonderful invitation to do just the same.
0: So as we we talk about the the gay community and there's all kinds of ranges here. And so I'm going to just, you know, you have the the one that just is embracing the lifestyle and says, I don't believe in God. I don't want any part of God. So you have that. Then you have kind of that middle range, which says, yeah, I'm a homosexual. This is how God created me. Jesus loves me anyway. I can be a Christian and be gay and God's okay with that. And then you have kind of on the other side, this where you are, I want to pursue Christ. I don't want this and fighting against it. Um, For, for someone kind of where you are, is there an extra level of guilt or shame that comes with same-sex attraction? We all know what it's like to feel guilt and shame over sin. Is it deeper? Wanting to pursue God but still struggling with this?
1: Heck yeah. Because you can know that if somebody comes to you struggling with homosexuality and they're a Christian, they know Leviticus 18. They know Romans 1. They know 1 Timothy 1. They know Jude 7. They've studied it far more than you have. Far more than you have. And so the problem is, the problem was with me. God, why am I not delivered? And can I just lay this down? This is not a black and white issue. It's not even gray. It has more colors than the gay pride flag, okay? (laughs) Okay. As most issues do, seriously, it's just not that simple. It is just not that simple. That is why even Jesus in healing blind people healed every blind person a different way. Because each one of those blind people were coming from a
0: different perspective. That's great. So maybe one of the dangers is we just kind of lump everyone together Heck and say, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're, oh, yeah, you're gay, and here's what you th- we think about that, and here's yeah. what God thinks about yeah. that. Seriously. And to engage the story and the conversation, and, yeah.
1: And, there, and so there is so much shame. And, but 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 the beauty of the word is, I mean, First Peter 4 says, love covers a multitude of sins. Notice it doesn't say forgives. Only Jesus forgives. He just needs you to lay some covering on that shame. Mm, that's good. So
0: you are born-again believers who's now resting in the grace of God. You, you know that homosexuality, to act on it, is, is sin. It's yes. wrong. And so yes. you, you're repenting from that and walking yes. away from that. Um, and you've chosen a life of celibacy yes. because you want to honor God. You know, if, if, if a God all of a sudden would deliver you from same-sex attraction, you'd be attracted to a woman and get married, then that's a different story. Right. But for now, you're not. And so you've ch- chosen a life of celibacy. What do Christians need to understand about choosing a life of celibacy?
1: First, they need to know that this is where homosexuality is unique. Same-sex attraction is unique. If you're telling a person you need to leave that life, you're inviting them to a life of celibacy. You're not invited to that life, by the way. And I'm sure everybody's like, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) But you're not invited to that life. But we need to realize that Jesus legitimizes celibacy. In that same chapter, Matthew 19, at the end of those phrases, Jesus is legitimizing celibacy. And in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, I wish you were like me. And he was single. And, and, and throughout that chapter, he is not saying that marriage is not the way to go. He is just pointing out that the importance of the legitimacy of living your life devoted to Christ. Um, and, And I would say my life is more than fulfilled. I'll be very honest with you. Living life as I wanted to live it was hell. Choosing to obey Christ has been the fulfillment of my life. And by the way, celibacy was not an easy shoe for me to put on. Okay. Initially, that shoe went off, on, off, on. And then I finally knew within my heart and within my life, this is the way that God has for me, and his way is best.
0: So, um, I remember a newspaper article, an interview that you did a couple a year or two ago, and um, you get some criticism from the gay community. Oh, heck and it. they would say to you, you are denying who you are. God has created you this way, this is who you are, and for you to, to, to say no to those impulses, you are denying your identity. What mm-hmm.
1: would you say to that? First, first of all, we over identify with our sexualities. We really do. I mean, we're identifying ourselves this, that, or the other thing based on an activity that may or may not happen three times a week.
0: That's for the marriage conferences. Usually it's (laughs) may not. (laughs) If you're lucky, it's may, but usually it's may not.
1: I don't know about all that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs>
0: I'm okay. sorry. You I don't know. Get the question now. is I there. Okay. So you're, you're denying who you are. That was <laughs> the yes, question, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Matthew 16. Matthew 16. I mean, the, the best way of displaying this verse and living out Matthew 16 deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. I mean, that's the call for all of us. Because I don't know if you realize it or not. All of sexuality is broken. It's all broken under Adam. And so for all of us, the call is to deny ourselves, To take up our cross and to follow him. In denying yourself, it is not a death sentence. It's life as God ordained it to be. And I have no regrets. I mean, seriously, when you see me at Potter's house... You may see me tired <laughs> because I'm there from 730 in the morning until midnight. Yes, yes. You may see me tired, but the person I am is a person who's fulfilled. That's good.
0: And, and as believers, here's what we, when we, many of you are feeling sorry for him right now because he can't be married. And he can't have, have sex in the way that God's intended. You know what we do when we do, we're doing that? We're, we're making an idol out of marriage and sexuality. We're saying Jesus is better. No, scratch that. Marriage is better. Sex is better. He's fulfilled. He has a ministry that is that that I can't. The level of ministry he does, I can't do. I have a wife. I have children. I have responsibilities. I can't do it. He's free to do that. So let us not make an idol. Whether you're even a single person here, I hope you heard that. Don't make an idol out of when I get married. Then, as it will let you down. It will let you down. Um. What, uh, why, do, why do Christians have such a hard time building bridges in the gay community? And why is that issue
1: kind of the hard, the hard one for us? I'm glad you said, you said that. Why do we have a hard time bridging? Um, if you don't hear anything else I'm saying, hear this. You don't have a, a bridge to build. I hope you heard that. You don't have a bridge to build. You got nowhere to go because there's no such thing as us and them. It's just us. Okay, you're you're on the same freaking shoreline. I don't know if you realize that. (laughs) Okay, we don't have a bridge to build. It is nothing more than extending your hand and your heart to someone who struggles just as much as you do, just in a different way. And so it's so important that out of that place of realizing how much you've needed Jesus, realizing you can be the hand and the heart of Jesus to someone else. Because it took me 53 years to see that. There's no reason for that. By the way, hats off to this pastor, hats off to you and most of your millennials. I just want to say this to you. I don't care what focus on the family says about millennials. My opinion is focus on the family sometimes needs to focus on their own dang family. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's a (laughs) mess. But what I've seen of millennials is that you are willing to see that and to understand that. Because this is the first time This is the first time on a Sunday morning in a church I've ever given my testimony in Springfield, Missouri. And it's because of of your generation, because you guys are ready to do something different.
0: That's good. What would you say to, um, final two questions. I'm going to ask you to talk to our people here. What would you say, first of all, to a Christian that says, I'm scared to step into that, step into that space. I have a, a, a gay roommate, I have a gay next, next door to me, a, a gay person, homosexual I work with, but I'm just, I'm just scared to engage. What would
1: you tell them? 1 John 4 says there's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. And so there's no reason to be afraid. I mean, and, and, and the beauty of, of this is, I was brought to believing that I could be loved by the ultimate man, Jesus, by the men who came alongside me, who weren't afraid. Because, see, this is one thing. By becoming my friend, many of them became people who were suspect. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. But because they had the courage to say, Samson, I'm going to love you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to be there with you. We're going to walk this journey together. You guys, it took the shame away. And 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 by the way, you guys, any anyone in this room that's coming from that perspective, I know what you feel. Because there were many days, ladies and gentlemen, where either going to a church I was weeping, or when I rode away I was weeping because of the shame. Because of the fear inside. And so there's no reason for you to fear them. No reason for you to feel. As if there's some other way. That you have to walk in through the door. To to actually see them as they are. Seriously. Just be open to whatever opportunity that you have. And I want to thank God. By the way there are people in this room I'm looking at. If I start naming you. I'm going to be in the floor kicking and screaming. And have an ugly cry. So I won't go there but. There are people in this room, you know who, who you are. And you're some of those people who dare to have the courage. Thank God for you.
0: So I know for a fact,
1: some, we have some people in the audience that struggle with
0: same-sex attraction. They want to follow Christ. What would you say to them? Talk to them. Last question.
1: I think of Jesus with the man who had the withered hand. Somebody had snuck him into the general population of the synagogue because handicapped men and women were not allowed in the general population. And they did it as, an, as a trap for Jesus. Jesus knew he was there. By the way, Jesus knows you're here today. Been looking for you all your life. You may think you've been hiding, but he's been calling you by name just like he called Adam and Eve in the garden. And Jesus said, to the man with the withered hand, he said, Sir, come and stand in the middle of all of us. Stand out among all of us. You're created in the image of God, He exclusively designed you. Psalms 103 says, He remembers we are dust and He knows even the particular specks of dust, the circumstances and the perspective. Of your life that has brought you to this point. And Jesus said to that man. Stretch out your hand. Stretch it out. No reason to hide. There's no reason for you to be in hiding. He's not afraid of you. He's not intimidated by your struggle. He didn't make the abuse happen in your life you've made bad choices and those who abused you, yes, they made bad choices. But Jesus wants you, wants you to know that you can come forward with that struggle. And immediately when he did that, Jesus brought healing to that man. He is absolutely positively crazy about you. And I know because I had... I had the desire to take my life. There's no reason for you to end your life. No reason for you to end your life. I outlived those self-destructive qualities and desires. And I've lived to see, and you will too, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. All things aren't good. But everything that happened in your life was not a mistake. You are not a mistake. You are a wounded healer. You have the potential to bring life and hope and healing to so many others. Please trust him. Please believe him. He is crazy about you. And right now, right now can be the beginning of a change that could take place for the rest of your life. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Uh, At the end of the service today, at the end of our gathering, Samson will be down here with Brad and I. If you'd like to just talk to him, thank him, give him a hug, whatever, he'll be down here. he would love to engage you. I want to thank you for, uh, it's hard for me here. Man, you're brave. I I admire bravery. We want to be a church that's brave. We want to be a church that's vulnerable, and I admire that. There's a huge light coming from just east of Missouri State University, and that light is, is God shining through you. I know that a bunch of these people have been affected by you, and we thank you for that. Thank you for coming to share Hill City. We thank Samson for me. Quickly wrap this up, all right, guys. This Santa said this is, a, this is the first step into this issue. There's all kinds of discussions that come with this issue. This issue: Do I go to the wedding? Do I go to the birthday party? What? There's all kinds of issues we can get into. But here's what we need to know: That tension between grace and truth is love. And I praise the church that we live in that tension between grace and truth. Hear me, Hill City. I'm, I'm talking to our covenant members here. We as Hill City Church must become a place where it is okay to say, I am broken, I'm an addict, I'm gay, I can't handle my finances, my marriage is about to fall apart, I'm addicted to porn, whatever it is. We must be the first place where someone can have those conversations. If we're not, then we are fake. We are fake. The gospel is that God is for people, not against them. And we must be a place where we are first for people, no matter their issue. Because remember, and such were some of you, meaning all of us. Jesus went and ministered to the outcasts of society. He he took his message to people and said, God is chasing after you. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care what the Romans thought, the Jewish leaders thought. He didn't care what the disciples thought. His concern was loving people as God had called him to love. He saw people as hurting and broken, not a burden. He saw them as people that were created by God in his image and he went to them full of grace and truth if we are criticized for something as a church I hope that we are criticized for the same thing that Jesus criticized that we go to sinners that we love them (laughs) because when we realize we're the same that we are no different and such were some of you when we realize that the love and affection that we will have towards that community will be overwhelming because we realize we are No better, we are not different, just different issues. We must go full of grace and truth, and the truth is the gospel. And if you're here and you're broken, because we all are, you need the gospel. It's a phrase we teach a lot that what we need is we need gospel, safety, and time. We need the truth of the gospel, become clear to us. And then we need the safety to be vulnerable, engage, here's who I really am, as Samson said, to stretch out your arm. Without that safety of relationship, Samson probably would have never come forward and said, here's who I am and here's where I am. We need gospel, safety, and time. Transformation does not happen overnight. Samson told you, it's been a process. We need gospel, safety, and time. We are not concerned with behavior modification here. I have zero desire for behavior modification. We want heart transformation, which requires gospel, safety, and time. To all of us, and such were some of you, to all of us who have idols in our life, to all of us that at times say there's something better than Jesus, may we hear this morning that Jesus is better. When we're attracted to something that does not give us more of Jesus. May we say to ourselves, Jesus is better. He's better than your anger. He's better than your lust. He's better than your greedy consumerism. He's better than your sexual desire. Jesus is better. So he'll say today as we receive communion, that we confess that Jesus is better. And remember that he pursued us while we were still sinners. And that he was full of grace and truth. Think on that this morning as you take communion. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the message we heard today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Samson's testimony. I pray, Father, that, that, that we uh, now respond in belief, in faith, and repentance. God, we confess we're all broken. Such were some of us. That's all of us. And we all need your grace. And we celebrate that you came while we are still sinners and you died for us. Amen.